0: you are listening to the sun grove podcast for more information please visit our website at sungrove.org well good morning so glad that you are here today uh, my name is dave flag i'm senior pastor here at sun grove church and uh, we've got a special treat for you. For the last six weeks, we've talked through this series called Walls Fall Down. And today, I want to have you uh, give a welcome to a good friend of mine, uh, the pastor in my life. Uh, I spent uh, a bunch of years down in Southern California at Shepherd Church, where Dudley Rutherford is senior pastor and has been for years and years. Will you please give a loud, a warm Sun Grove welcome to my pastor, Dudley Rutherford. Good morning, good morning good morning let's try that again good morning, good morning. everybody doing good today good how many of you you're just blessed, you just come into church and you just feel blessed you're just blessed already just feeling blessed well uh, I, I am so happy to be here uh, Dave uh, worked on our staff uh, I preach at the Shepherd Church down in LA and he was there for about five years and uh, preached uh, we gave him a service so he had his own service uh, he was that good, and one day he came in and just said, Brother, what do you think about me going and being a senior pastor somewhere? And I hated, I hate it whenever a good staff person leaves. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's just, I don't like that. But I knew that God had put within him these leadership gifts to be just the best senior pastor of all time. And I said, no, Brother, you got to go. This is, what you're, this is what you're designed to do. And uh, he's done such an incredible job. You, you had to clap? Come on, come on. You are, you are so fortunate that he chose to come to this, this part of the country. And uh, I love your facility. It's absolutely beautiful. You have all this parking. We don't have parking down in L.A. We have to park on top of each other. But uh, you got all this parking and uh, Taco Bell. I mean, what, who doesn't like Taco Bell? No, no. Uh, Starbucks. <laughs> But um, I'm so proud of Dave, and I would hire Dave just to have Heather around the church. That's what I would do. Um, and then the, the, these three boys, one of them is going to be the next governor of California. I don't know which one, but one of them is going to be the next governor. But uh, you know what? I just, uh, I love this man. I love your church. Uh, you guys are just scratching the surface. This, this is just positioned to be one of the next great churches in this country, and I really want you to show your love because he, he won't ask for it, but I'm a guest, I'll be gone. Hey, I want you to show your love to your pastor and to his wife, Heather. Can you do that? Just give them some love. Just give them some love. Oh, yeah, Dave. And he's so good looking and he's got that hair and all that stuff, but anyway. Um, so, David asked me to come up and preach, and then I um, I, I got into cycling a few years ago, and uh, so I just, a bunch of guys, and uh, I said, hey, why don't you come up? Oh, there's a great place to cycle. We did, the, uh, we did the American River, 75 miles, something like that, 70 miles, and then yesterday we did another 70 miles. The last two days, we've gone like 150 miles of cycling, and uh, I actually have a picture. Uh, this was us the other day. We were in downtown Sacramento. Uh, You think we're great athletes going 100. We're all scared to death of this horse. Look at that horse right there. But uh, I know we look strange down there. Horses probably thinking, who are these guys? But a lot of them stayed. They came to first service, and they've come here. I just wanted you to see them. So all the people that came cycling, if you'd stand real quick. They're over here. And uh, just if you would thank them. for, They all came up here. Wait, 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 wait. They all came from L.A. They came from L.A. just to cycle and to come to church. And there, you notice there's a girl over there named Cecilia. Cecilia, they can't even see you. There's Cecilia. She's better than all those boys. And we are, we are sick of her. She's so good. But uh, they've got, they came to first service, and most of them have to get out of here. Some of them have to catch a plane. But I wanted them here so I could introduce them, just so you know that they came and were here and came a long ways to be to church. But, so some of them are going to sneak out. But give them a hand, and thank you all. Thank you all very much. You all going to leave? Are those you going to leave? going to leave? You guys all gave an offering, right? You're not just sneaking out. <laughs> Y'all didn't give an offering, right? <laughs> you know, they're my heathen friends. Anyway, uh, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter Six. And uh, how many of you have enjoyed the series on the walls fall down? You've enjoyed the series. Amen. Three of you. Three of you. Good, 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 good. Good, 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 good. Also, want to encourage you inside your notes, inside your bulletin, there are some sermon notes. And um, again, if I had just moved in this area and I just looked at your bulletin, I would join the church before I ever heard him preach. Just because. You guys got missions in here and volunteer and shoe stuff and serving the schools and all the stuff that you guys are doing. It is amazing. You do not realize how great a church you, you go to here. And uh, just thank you again for an opportunity uh, to be here. And this is the seventh and final sermon in this series called Walls Fall Down. I just want to read a few verses and uh, we'll we'll dig into this. Joshua chapter 6 verse 3. Joshua chapter 6 verse 3. March, everybody say the word march. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. Verse four. Have seven priests. How many priests? Seven. Not five, not four, but seven. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front or behind the ark. Which is it? Are you sure? How do you know? It says so where? On the Bible or on the screen? Which is it? Both. Okay, good answer. Okay. should always bring your Bible and check up on a preacher. But anyway, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their noses or their trumpets? Which is it? Okay, just want to make sure you're with me on here. Okay. Because you can not blow your nose. How many of you know you can blow your nose? And, G- and God could have said, blow your nose. Hold the trumpet. The- Hi there. Okay. Okay. Uh, verse 5. When you, and these are just the instructions. All right. They haven't done it yet. These are just the instructions. When you hear them sound a long blast on those trumpets. Because you know those trumpet players, they play these little notes. sometimes, But every once in a while, they play this long note. When you hear the long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then something will happen. The wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up, every man straight in. Now go over to verse 15 and 16. So those were the instructions. So now on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except... That on that day they circled the city seven times. Verse 16. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people to shout, For the Lord has given you this city. Now skip all the way down to verse 20. This is, this is where the magic happened. This is where it's all good. With the trumpets, everybody say trumpets. And I'm going to come back to that in my final point. I want you to remember this, that it was when the trumpets sounded that the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed so that every man charged in and they took the city to the glory of God. And all God's people said, amen. So uh, quite a while ago, I wrote this book called Walls Fall Down. And uh, there's a little byline in here that says seven steps from the battle of Jericho to overcome any challenge. And Dave and I, he kind of we're preaching through this, and he's let me do the seventh lesson here. But we've already looked at these. The idea was this, that whatever your problem is, you walk around it just one day. The idea was that any problem could go away in seven days. I know that sounds like, like that's not true. But that was the gist of the book, going through this story, that any problem you have can can be solved in seven days. doesn't seem possible. But let me show you where we've been thus far. The first lesson, first day, you walk around your problem. Instead of looking at your problem, look at God. Because if you're looking at God, your problem immediately shrinks. Oh, it seemed impossible when you're looking at it. But if you'd get your eyes off your problem and look at God, that problem doesn't seem like that big a deal anymore. The second day, the second lap, uh, is an unconventional plan. God asked them this whole story. This whole story sounds kind of crazy to me. You know, and walk around and yell and blow a trumpet and that's going to come down. But God always asks us to do things that seem unconventional. The question is whether or not you're going to do them or not. The third day, the third lap, was the Ark of the Covenant. That's my favorite sermon probably in the whole series because this represented God. And when those men were walking around the walls, it was God who said, put the Ark, put my presence in the line. Don't you go out and try to solve that problem yourself. Bring me into the equation. That's, that's step three, day three. Day four was surround yourself Uh, with a culture of like-minded people Uh, there were a lot of people that were uh, walking in unison and you get a lot of people just like if all of you got together on the same page you could you could get a lot accomplished here in Elk Grove can someone say amen to that and then uh, day five the discipline of consistency just think if they'd quit don't quit on lap three don't quit on lap four what if they'd quit after lap five what if they quit after lap six they would have never seen the victory. So there's a blessing in being consistent. And last week, Dave preached on the uh, importance of being obedient because God gave all these plans and they followed them to a T and those walls came tumbling today down. Now today, I want to speak to you on this subject. If you have your notes, the perfect number, the perfect number. Um, And I want you to take your notes and write this down just to begin with. The number seven, write this down if you're taking notes. The number seven is found 457 times in the Bible. That's a lot. And I'm not really into numerology, but I do know that that number seven stands. You can write these three things down. It stands, number seven is the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. Seven stands for the blessing of God. The word created has seven letters, C-R-E-A-T-E-D. That's seven letters. And the word created is used seven times when you read through the story of creation in the Bible. The story of creation took how many days? It took seven days. In the Bible, God was the one that created seven days in one week. There are Seven notes in a musical scale. Every song that has ever been written or sung, every song, every note you heard, comprised every song of seven notes. Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti. Don't say Do, you're just starting over. There's only seven. There's not eight. There's seven notes. Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti. And then you start over Do, Re. There's only seven notes on the musical scale. Noah, in Genesis chapter 7, took clean beasts into the ark in groups of seven. There were seven days after Noah entered the ark when the Bible says it began to rain. In Leviticus chapter 18, Aaron and his sons began their priestly work after they were consecrated for seven days. On the Day of Atonement, in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 14, the high priest sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat seven times. In the Bible, there are seven feasts established by God in Scripture. The Feast of the Passover, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, Atonement, Trumpets, and Tabernacle. There are seven branches on the candlestick inside the holy place, inside the tabernacle. Solomon was seven years in building the temple. Job had seven sons. Naaman the leper dipped in a river seven times to be cleansed of his leprosy. When Jesus was on the cross, He spoke seven times. When the deacons were selected in the early church in Acts chapter 6, they chose seven men. When Joseph was in charge of Egypt, there were seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. In the Bible, there's a phrase called the book of life. That phrase, the book of life, is mentioned seven times in the Word of God. And if you ever read the book of Revelation, there are seven churches and seven seals and seven trumpets and seven seven spirits, and seven candlesticks, and seven horns, and even seven eyes. Jesus said, if you're going to forgive someone, you should forgive them 70 times seven. Uh, You get the idea that seven is a pretty important number in the Bible. You want me to keep going, or is that enough? In this text, in this story, seven is everywhere. Seven priests, seven trumpets. Seven days, seven laps, on the seventh day, seven laps. And that is when God will bring the victory. I wonder if the number seven in this story is just a random number. Or did God use that number for a reason? I believe God did use that number for a reason. Because whatever you're going through today and right now, All over this room, there are people that are up against some impossible situations in your marriage, with your children, in your health, in your finances, maybe at work, maybe in your neighborhood. You're up against some impossible situations. I want to say to you, seven, 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 seven. What's the big deal about seven? Seven is the number of perfection, the number of completion. It's the number of God. I want you to see God working in your situation. Number one, write this down in your notes. God has a perfect number for you. Seven was the number he gave to them. But God's got a number for you. In your struggles, in your desire to overcome, in your longing to see impossible situations uh, collapse before your eyes. You see, seven was not their number. That was God's number that God gave to them. And I want you to know that God's got a number for you. I know that sounds strange, but God knows your number. It might be seven days before your, your walls fall down. It might be seven weeks. It might be seven months. It might take seven years. It might take 77 years, but God's got a number when you will eventually have victory over this hurdle that you're up against. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, it says that the seven eyes of the Lord... Now, how many of you thought that God only had two eyes? Raise your hand if you thought God only had two eyes. Did you know that God's got seven? Seven. That's what the Bible says. Look, now this is just uh, a figurative, but it says that the seven eyes of the Lord which reigns throughout the entire earth. What does that mean? God's got seven eyes. What does that mean? It means that His vision is perfect. That's what that number means. His vision is complete, that God sees all, that He knows all, that God understands all. And, And you need to understand that those seven eyes of God, that they are upon you here today, God is aware of everything going on in your life today. He's aware of your situation. He knows every problem you're facing. He's aware of every heartache, of every struggle, of every sin. God has seven eyes. He sees everything. You ever see your mom's got two eyes in the back of her head? God's got seven. I want to show you this video. And uh, this video is showing you all the airplanes in the world right now. It's like this all day, every day. First thing I look at that, I think, well, how easy a disease can actually spread around the world. That's the first thing I think when I see that. But then I think about, this is, that's like a bird's eye view of the, of the planet. You see that? But that's really God's view, except God, God knows more than just the plane. God knows who's sitting in every seat in those planes. God knows the seat number of every person sitting in those planes. God knows the ATM number of every person sitting in those planes. God knows the, the, the color of your eyes, and, and uh, he knows where they're going and where they've come from and what's going on in their life. And I think of the con- people in the control tower directing all those planes around the earth at this very moment. But I think of God, who God in heaven directs all of our steps. Can someone say amen? Amen. I want to show you this verse in Exodus chapter 13. I love these two verses. Israel had just come out of bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And uh, finally, Pharaoh let them go, right? And where did they want to go? They wanted to go right into the promised land. Now, if you've been in slavery for 400 years, you tell me, how quick do you want to get to the promised land? Somebody say, quick. You want to get there quick. Notice what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh said, let the people go, God did not, everybody say not, he did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, uh, which was way shorter. For God said, if they face war, They might change your mind. If I give them the short route, they might go right back to Egypt. And then God says this. The Bible says this in verse 18. So God, instead of doing the short route, God led the people around by the desert road. Uh Uh-oh. Well, there's scorpions in the desert. There's snakes in the desert. You're going to get lost in the desert. There's no food in the desert. There's no water in the desert. The people, I know, wanted to get in the promised land as quick as they could, but God said, if I'm taking that short route, first time they have problems, they're going to go right back into Egypt. What I need to do is send them on a long way around that that area and uh, so he can get done all the things that he needed to get done. You see, we think we know what's best, but God, who knows all, who sees all, He always does what's in our best interest. Write this down, the real problem is our definition of victory. Our definition of victory is different than God's definition of victory. My definition is I want all all pain to be over. I don't wanna struggle, I don't wanna hurt, I want the storm to cease, I don't wanna hurt any longer. But God's idea of victory might be totally different. I know that when I see Jesus hanging on the cross, because that had to hurt a lot. I mean, Jesus on the cross, not just the physical pain, but you know, the nails and the, the crown of thorns and the spear in his side and the blood, uh, not just the physical side of the cross, but I think of the spiritual when he took all the sins of all the people upon Jesus himself. No wonder the Bible says that he endured the cross. It was, it was difficult. Jesus, I mean, if he had his choice, I'm not sure he wanted to do all that. He said, but not mine will, but thine will. God had a different plan. The plan included pain, but Jesus was willing to follow God's perfect plan for his life. I think you and I should follow God's plan for our life. Amen. Which leads me to the second point. Not only does God have a perfect number, God has a perfect plan. Don't get caught up in the number. How many days, how many minutes, how many seconds do I have to, do I have to continue to struggle? So you've got to get a little bigger picture than just how many days. You've got to realize that God has a perfect plan. He's got a plan for you, all right? Everybody say plan. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 139. It's one of my favorite uh, passages in Psalms. Psalm 139. We'll we'll go back to Joshua here in a minute. Verse 1 says, Oh Lord, everybody say, Oh Lord, Uh, you have searched me. Now it doesn't say this, but I'm going to add this with those seven eyeballs of yours. Everybody say, Seven eyeballs. You didn't know the Lord had seven eyeballs. You've searched me with those seven eyeballs, and you know me. Who knows you? God. See, here's what you think right now. This is is almost silly. You think you know the person you're sitting next to. You think you know everything about them. i got some news for you. You don't know everything about the person sitting next to you, and they don't know everything about you. Now, you might know a lot, but you don't know everything. The only person that knows everything about you and the person sitting next to you, there's only one person who knows everything about you. Guess who that is? That's God. You've searched me and you know me. Verse two, you know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my laying down. You are familiar with all. Say the word all. You're familiar with all my ways. I love verse 4, before, not during, not after. It says before, before a word is ever on my tongue. You know what I'm going to say before I say it, oh Lord. Now skip all the way down to verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, I praise you, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame, verse 15, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Here it is in verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. God knows everything about you. He knows the good and he knows the bad. He knows when you're blessed and he knows when you're in the midst of the storm. You need to just follow God's plan regardless of your circumstances, trusting that God knows best. There's a man named Mark Atterbury who wrote a book called Talking with God, Walking with God on the Road You Never Wanted to Travel. And in that book, he tells a story about a woman about five weeks before she was supposed to get married, she tripped down some steps and she broke her ankle. And so now she's on crutches and she's upset. First of all, she's upset with herself because she used to be this gymnast who could do somersaults and backflips. And now she says, I've got the grace of an elephant on roller skates. And she did not want to walk down the aisle of her wedding on crutches that was not what she had in mind and so she decided to delay the wedding and then she got mad at God like God why did you allow this to happen you ruined, you ruined. this is supposed to be my special time you know what I'm saying can you hear her can you hear her complaining there a little bit but if you were to ask her today about the detour she would tell you it was the greatest thing that ever happened to her. Because during the delay, she discovered that her husband had been arrested for selling illegal drugs to an undercover officer and that God was actually sparing her. But she couldn't see it at the time. See, the Bible says in Isaiah 64, verse 8, that he is the potter and we are the what? We're just clay. We're just dirt. Lumpy, you know, God, he's the potter. He shapes, he forms. Sometimes he's, he starts over. And he, he keeps, and you, you have to understand that this is what God does in your life and in my life to the good and to the bad, that he's shaping us, he's forming us, he's, he's fashioning us, he's working in our life. Whether you realize it or not, you just have to understand that. One of the guys that, uh, um, I met this man named Phil in, when I was cycling, and um, Phil, the first time I ever met him, he crashed right in front of me. We were on this road, and, and uh, it's a group that goes really fast. They go too fast, a busy street, and uh, he crashes, and he falls down, he breaks his hip, I almost ran over. I don't know how I didn't run over his head, uh, to be honest with you. I'm right there. I see his head. I'm thinking I'm going to run right. And somehow I got, I don't even know how I got around the guy. He falls down. He's in the middle of the street. He's not a Christian. He's a Jewish man, but he doesn't even have Jewish faith. He doesn't go to church. He doesn't know nothing about the Bible. He knows nothing about God. He just calls himself a Jew. And, and, um, He crashes, he's in the middle of the street, he's dropping F-bombs, every curse word, he's laying there right in front of me, just cursing like a sailor. This is where I met Phil. And um, I stayed with him, called an ambulance, it happened right across the street from a hospital. They literally came and picked him up and took him 100 yards to the ER department. Uh, The other man who wrecked, there were two guys that wrecked, was actually here today. And the other man over here, his name was Ken, and Ken works in the, he's, an, he's a doctor in the ER department at the Kaiser Hospital. He's in charge of the emergency room. And so he also messed his arm up, so Phil broke his hip, the doc messed his arm, I go over to the hospital, everyone else left, I'm the only one with compassion, no no no. Um, and uh, I was there when Phil's wife came up and she was like, where's, where's Phil? What happened to his bike? What's his, ha- I, everything's okay, ma'am. everything's fine. Well, what happened was people in my church started to love on Phil. He couldn't figure out why people were being nice to him. No one's ever been nice to his, in his whole life to him. One day we were riding across the valley floor, and he said, you see that house right there? I said, yes. He goes, I used to buy drugs in that house. I looked at him like, what? what? Yeah, I used to buy drugs in that house. We drove another, down a couple more blocks, He goes, you see that house right there? I go, yeah. He goes, I used to buy drugs in that house, too. We kept riding across the valley. He said, you see that house right there? I go, yeah. He goes, I used to buy drugs in that house. I was was thinking, I hope that's not a church member's house. That's what I was thinking. But uh, he just lived a really hard life, been addicted to drugs, never been a man of faith. But after he has this wreck, he cannot figure out why the people in my church keep calling him, bringing him food, checking up on him. He can't figure it out. And uh, he eventually gets better. He gets back on his bike. And he and I become really good friends. Thank you. Thank you. I like your hair. Stand up. Let everybody see your hair real quick. Stand up. Look at her hair. Look at that hair. I like everybody's hair, though, okay? You know what I'm saying? Okay, sit down. Okay. Um, So um, what happened was, In this series, Walls Fall Down, at Shepherd, we did a video that went with the life groups. And the video that we did, we wanted a modern story of Walls Fall Down doing something impossible. So we we went to the Santa Monica Mountains. I sent an email out to all my cycling friends saying, hey, whoever wants to show up, uh, we're gonna film these seven life groups in one day, seven different lessons. And the lesson is going to our impossible situation is going up to the top of the Santa Monica Mountains. Are you with me on this? And uh, so I sent the email out, well, guess who shows up? Phil shows up. Knows nothing about God. He never even heard of a life group. He wants to be in the video. So um, we filmed seven lessons in one day. We filmed from sun up to sundown. Now, when that was over, he kept asking me, Hey, when do I get to see the video? When do I get the video? When's the DVD coming out? When's the video? Every time I saw him, when's the video? I said, Phil, it takes a while to edit. Trust me, when it comes out, you'll get to see it. And besides, you're in the best scene. He goes, What scene is that? I go, Phil, it's at the very top. It's not Hollywood. My heart is beating out of my chest. I'm crying, I'm screaming pain, I finally get to the top, and right there, he's there, I put my arm around him, we're just so happy, and I said, they video him, you're in the best scene of the whole video, and he goes, well, when do I get to see it? When do I get my video? When's the DVD? I said, you're just going to have to wait. Well, now here, you know what? you know what's coming. A couple months go by, I gave him the book, I gave him the book, I gave him the workbook, I gave him the DVD, knowing he's never read the Bible in his whole life. I give that to him, knowing that he's going to watch all the videos, he's going to read the story, he's going to read the Bible for the first time in his life. The next time I see him, Phil says these words to me. He goes, hey, I've never heard of that story before of Joshua in the battle of Jericho. He goes, that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, because he's in the video. He thinks it's cool, right? Now, how many of you know that God is working in his life? You can just see. You can just see God working in his life. I want you to jump forward a couple of months. There's a man named uh, Frank Sontag. He hosts the largest Christian radio program in the world in Los Angeles. And he was going to Israel on a Holy Land trip, and he asked if I would sit in and fill in for him at the radio station. So one night, this couple months go by, I'm in the radio station, and I'm talking, I'm interviewing somebody, and in the middle of my interview, I get this text on my phone. And here's the text, it's from Phil. Here's what the text says. He says, how is it that I'm setting my clock? Who sets their clock in their car? I don't know who does that. He goes, how is it that I'm setting my clock on my car radio when I accidentally turn, this is to a Christian, who does that? Who accidentally turns to a Christian radio? How do I, how is it I'm setting my clock on my car radio when I accidentally turn to channel 99.5 and I hear somebody, well it sounds just like you, and I say to myself, that sounds a lot like Dudley and sure Heck, and that's the word that he used because he uses a lot of other bad words besides that one. He says, As sure as heck, you're on the radio saying, Hi, I'm Dudley. How many of you know that this is not all just an accident? How many of you know that? And take a guess, take a guess at the moment that he's accidentally tuning his radio, setting his clock, and he tunes, hits a button and goes to the Christian radio station that he hears my voice, take a guess at that very moment, who am I I interviewing that I know that he stopped and was listening to? Guess who I was interviewing? I was interviewing that very moment a Jewish rabbi named Ron LaPaz of Valley Outreach Synagogue. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, God has a plan for you. He's got a plan for Phil. He's got a plan for me. He's got a plan for everyone. Can you say amen? Amen. I got to show you this, all right? Daniel chapter 3. Skip to Daniel chapter 3. Do you remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace? You remember that? Remember that? Because they wouldn't bow down? Did you know that the Bible says that the guys in charge said, hey, turn the heat up to what? Seven times hotter than usual. Do you think that's by accident? This guy says, tune it up seven times greater. Why? My question is, why would they, why would they want to turn the heat up to seven times hotter than normal? Because that was the perfect temperature for God to show up. Do you understand that? So some of you are in the midst of this storm, you're in the midst of a trial. You need to understand that God has a plan for your life. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be a piece of cake. And it might be you crashing your bike and breaking your hip in the middle of a street. It might be where you're accidentally tuning a radio and it just happens to hit a button that says Christian radio. It might be that someone invited you to church here today. It might be in the midst of your storm that something happens and the storm gets tuned up seven times greater. You have seven times more pressure, seven times more pain, seven times more heart and you're thinking this can't be possible but it's in the midst of all that that God is going to show up because God has a perfect number God has a perfect plan write this down quickly sometimes God will calm that storm yes he will but sometimes God will calm your fear in the midst of that storm because God has a plan he had a plan for Abraham to be the father of a great nation, despite the fact that Abraham and Sarah were 190. God had a plan for Moses despite his speech impediment. God used him to stand before the great Pharaoh and say the words, Let my people go. God had a plan for David in spite of his weakness and in spite of his sinfulness uh, to write most of the Psalms in the Word of God. God had a plan for Peter despite his foul mouth, his cursing, and his denyings that one day God would use Peter to stand and preach the first sermon, and some 3,000 people were baptized into Christ that day. And God had a plan for Saul, who was persecuting the church, and God saved Saul, turned his name into Paul. Paul ends up writing half of the New Testament and becomes one of the greatest missionaries this world has ever known. And likewise, even in your midst, even in your storm, God has a plan for you, It's a perfect plan, despite your pain, despite your shortcoming, despite your sin, despite your disbelief, in spite of your doubt, in spite of your inabilities, whether you're living up on the mountain or you're living down in the valley, trust in God's plan. And as I close, here's the third point, because God has a perfect triumph for you. Everybody say the word triumph. Oh, God has a perfect triumph for you. We're going we're be to begin to close, but don't anybody leave me or lose me because this is the most important part. Okay? The greatest story in this story for me is not just the walls falling down. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. But the best story within the story are the seven priests that are standing out in front of the Ark of the Covenant. I asked you earlier, I asked you again now, who was it that said to put the Ark of the Covenant in the line? Who said to put that there? Was it it Moses or was it God? Was it Joshua or was it God? Was it you or was it God? Who said put the Ark of the Covenant in the line? Who said that? God, now question, why did God want the ark in the line, marching around the walls? Why did he want to be there? So that when the walls came down, all the people would say, it's not the guys walking. This is not what makes a wall fall down. What makes the wall fall down is the presence of God. Are you with me? Who was it that said, put the seven priests in front of the ark? It was God. Did God say to put the seven priests behind the ark or in front of the ark? Which was it? Front. And what's in the hands of the priest? those seven what? The trumpets. So I got the presence of God. Picture this. It's the priest with their trumpets. And as they march and as they play, they're announcing the presence of God in this situation. Are you with me? Here's what the Bible says in verse 4. Look at it again. God said have seven priests carry the trumpets of ram horns in front of the ark on the seventh day, I want you to march around those walls seven times with the priests blowing those trumpets. So if you were up in Jericho and you thought you had had victory and you looked down, you saw seven times the priests blowing the trumpets announcing the presence of God. Now look down at verse 20 again. The Bible said that when the trumpets sounded, that the people shouted. And it was at the sound of the trumpet that when the people shouted, that the wall collapsed and every man went straight in. Oh, listen to me, listen to me. This is all symbolic, just symbolic of another story of another day, of another battle, of another triumph, where there will be another trumpet that sounds announcing the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, oh, look at this. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, for the Lord himself, everybody say himself, It's not going to be a rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, you go, oh, look at God. God, that's God. Put the rainbow there. Look at God. It's a symbol of God. No. It's not going to be a rainbow. It's not going to be a dove. Remember the dove that came down the form of the Holy Spirit? It's not going to be a dove. It's not going to be a, a burning bush. It's not going to be Melchizedek. It's not going to be a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. The Bible says, but the Lord himself will come down from heaven. With a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will do what? We will rise. And after that, verse 17 says, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Did my mic go out? Okay, sorry. I want to close with this story, okay? Stay with me. My dad is in his 80s, and he's, he's still kicking, uh, but he's got Parkinson's, he's got some heart issues, and he has been battling stage four cancer, and um, I've kind of been with him, you know, helping him through all that. He's a pre- been a preacher his whole life. And he preaches down in Fresno. My brother's a preacher down in Fresno, and my dad now works on his staff. But he's 82, 83, and uh, just been struggling. And uh, at first, we had a report from the doctor: "You've only got a couple months to live." And my dad calls me one night, and he says, "Son," he goes, "I just, I just want to talk to you." And we were talking, and and uh, he said, he said, "You know this verse? I'll put it up on the screen for a second." Uh, by his stripes we are healed. He goes, son, are you familiar with that verse? I said, yes, dad. He goes, uh, he goes, my whole life I've preached that. I've told people that. I've prayed with people. And they didn't get better. He goes, and now I've got this cancer. Now I'm, I, I don't have long to live. He goes, I just, I don't understand why if it says by his stripes, By his stripes, we're healed, and I'm not healed. He goes, I've been preaching this my whole life. I don't understand. And he goes, son, I just want you to know I've been really studying this. And he goes, I "I think I have it all figured out. And I said, what's that, Dad? And he goes, well, you know, when it says by his stripes, he's talking about that when Jesus died on a cross, right? That's what that means by his stripes. That's speaking of that moment he was, uh, you know, he was beaten with the cat of nine tails before he went to the cross. He goes, and that, that means that Jesus went to the cross. He goes, he goes I, think, I think what it means, he goes, by his stripes we're healed, that because of what Jesus did on the cross, that one day, because I'm a Christian and because I've put my faith in Jesus, that I when I do die, I'm going to go to heaven. And that's when I'm going to be completely healed. And my dad was spot on. Because God has a perfect number, God has a perfect plan, but God has a perfect triumph for all of us. And right now, some of you are in the midst of a great storm and you're wondering, when is this all gonna end? I don't know the exact day, I know God knows the day. I don't know the exact hour, but I know God knows the hour. But there's coming a time, even if it's when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and you hear those trumpets, you know it's the return of Jesus Christ. You know at that point your struggle and your battle will be over by his stripes we all are healed amen i want you to stand for just a moment and uh, here's what we're going to do i i just want to pray we're going to sing a song it's a little different today i'm just going to sing a chorus and whoever comes forward i just want to pray a prayer blessing over you okay so if you're struggling in your marriage You've got children who've gone astray, struggling financially. You've got some health issues. Maybe there's, you've got a health problem. Maybe it's uh, your next door neighbor's not a Christian and you're just, you can't sleep at night because you know your best friend is lost. Whatever battle you're in, whatever struggle, whatever impossible situation, I wanna pray for you that God will give you victory. All right? I need all of you out there to put your hand forward so it's not just me praying, but we're all praying, all right? And I want you to see all these people are praying for you. I want you to see that, all right? Just put your hands forward towards these folks, okay? And uh, let's pray together. Just pray with me, all right? Just you're just you're By doing this, you're just saying amen. That means amen, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. I thank you for each and every person who came forward today. Some of them are in the midst of great trial, great heartache, great pain. I know there's a lot of us who are up on a mountaintop right now, but God, no one stays up there very long. We all go through a season in our life where things just don't seem to make sense. And there are people here today in front of us. They're, they're having some issues in their marriage. There are people here today who have some health issues, some, some bad reports from some doctors. There are some people here today who have children who just, have wandered down the wrong path, hanging out with the wrong type of people, making some wrong decisions. And it's killing us as parents. and just killing us on the inside. I mean, we'd give anything for that son to come home, that daughter to come home. There's people here today, Father, that are out of work. There are people here financially who are just feel the weight of the world. They don't know how they're going to get by another day, another week, another month. And then we come to church and we hear these Bible stories, how the children of God, they followed the plans of God, and they, they had those priests out in front of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God. And on that seventh day, the seventh lap, when the trumpet sounded, announcing the presence of God, those walls came tumbling down. And today, God, in a sense, I pray that these who have come, that they would just understand that you have a perfect number, a perfect plan and a perfect day of triumph for them. Because when you know, when you know that victory is around the corner, when you know that, it helps you get through this struggle. It helps you get through the journey. It helps you get through the pain when you know that there's joy that comes in the morning. And I just pray that, that as the Bible says, that that you will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, that those who are here today in the valley of the shadow of death, it's not quite death, but it's the shadow of death. And they feel that. They feel that weight, that depression, that, the heartache of all that. I just pray, God, that you would lift that, that you would free them. For those who do not know Jesus Christ, where it says that by his stripes we've been healed, help them to realize and to focus in on the stripes The one who died, the Lamb of God who went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. And if there's anyone in this room that has never put their faith and trust in Jesus, I pray that they make that decision today. But those who came forward, God, I just pray a prayer of blessing. I pray a prayer of victory. A a, a prayer prayer where they understand their definition might be different than yours but that your plan and your sovereignty is what we really want. We choose that over the desires of our flesh. And so I pray that when they leave here today, they know it just wasn't me that prayed, but they were prayed for by an entire church who's believing and trusting with me this prayer of blessing, this prayer of anointing over their lives. I ask your blessing on the pastor of this church, David, and just give him vision to lead this church, help him to just see thousands of people coming to know Jesus Christ, this church becoming a true lighthouse here in the south side of Sacramento. And I just ask again, God, that together, that whatever we're up against, that in faith and because of Jesus Christ, that we would see those walls come tumbling down in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, the name above all other names, we pray this prayer. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sungrove Podcast. For information on Sungrove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.